réussir votre go-to-market sur le marché allemand est notre objectif. Depuis plus de 10 ans, l'équipe Wings accompagne les entrepreneurs et leurs équipes dans leurs projets de go-to-market sur le marché allemand. Nous croyons fermement que l'apprentissage auprès de ceux qui ont déjà fait le chemin est essentiel pour réussir. C'est pourquoi, dans ce podcast, nous donnons la parole aux personnes en charge de ces projets. Des CEO, des country managers ou encore des personnes qui font partie de l'équipe de lancement. Ils partageront avec nous leur histoire et nous livreront leurs précieux conseils et astuces pour lancer une entreprise ou un projet en Allemagne. Je suis Andrea Vaugan, la fondatrice de Wings.co. Nous aidons des entreprises françaises à lancer ou à améliorer leur activité sur le marché allemand et vice-versa. Alors préparez-vous à découvrir les secrets de la réussite sur le marché allemand. C'est parti pour l'épisode d'aujourd'hui. Welcome to Go to Germany Stories, the podcast dedicated to international business, European expansion and especially the go-to-market in Germany. Today I'm excited to welcome Dominic Drexler, Country Manager Germany for USign, a French provider of electronic signatures and digital identification services. I'm very glad to have Dominic on the show, as USign is, in my, my opinion, one of the really good examples on how to launch a business on the German market. So for those who do not know Dominic yet, he is based in Paris and leading the German business of USign since 2019. Before joining uh, USign, Dominic has worked at uh, HSBC for more than five years. Um, he studied business administration and holds degrees from INSEAD and ESB Reutlingen. So Dominic, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Andrea. Very glad to be here. So would you like, uh, Dominic, to add anything to your introduction and maybe explain a little bit more in detail what USign does? Yeah, I think there's nothing to be added from the personal point of view, right? That was very exhaustive. Thank you. Um, perhaps, yes, about you sign a few more words, because I think it's very important always for the people to really get the background of the company right in order to understand the whole podcast. So USign, as you were saying, is a software as a service company, in the electronic signature and digital identification space. Um, in, in France, for example, if you're going to sign your work contract remotely or say you're going to open a bank account remotely and you need to be identified, you have a chance that this one out of three that the e-signature part is actually going to be powered by USign. So in France, we're the clear market leader. And of course, that's also the aim for Germany. Okay, great. So you joined uh, USign in 2019, so about four years ago now, because now we're end of uh, 2023. Um, so why and when did USign uh, decide to launch the German market? Yeah, the when is very easy to answer. Um, that decision was actually taken before I joined USign. Um, so they were back in the days hiring a country opener, right? And this is also how I got in touch with USign because um, as a German, by then USign was exclusively present on the French market. Um, the company was unknown to me. Um, the why I have to explain a little bit the big picture, I think, right? Um, because USign operates in a market which in Europe is comparatively young. So the e-sign legislation, for example, um, that is ruling Europe is, uh, in, is valid since 2014 in Europe. Um, whereas in the US, for example, you have a sign act that exists since 2000. That means in the US, it's a much more mature market, right? You have incumbents like Adobe sign, like DocuSign. And these incumbents, they've traditionally serve the enterprise clients, right? Who are always the early adopters. And for USign, it was from the beginning always the story of differentiation and USign said, okay, we're gonna serve small and medium-sized businesses, right? And that brings me back, why Germany, right? Because if you're talking SMBs in Europe, you talk Germany by definition. If you look at the size of the German SMB market, it's just the largest in Europe. So it was very strategic for USAN to say, okay, we have to win Germany if we want to be the SMB player um, in e-signature. Sure. So I, I, I totally understand this. But um, just one question. Um, how did USAN and Dominic find each other? Because, you know, it's always a question of people and finding the right people. So how did they find you or did you find them? Yeah. And in the end, uh, as you say, it's always a question about people and it was uh, the network. So I uh, studied my MBA at INSEAD and there was an alumni who also studied at INSEAD and who worked for eFounders. eFounders, for the ones who do not know it, is a French startup studio. Um, basically, it's, they started with, a, basically, they wanted to do what Rocket Internet 
does in Germany. And they were building B2B companies. And he was working for uh, uh, eFounders. And we basically were connected on LinkedIn, I think, I guess. And he was publishing the job offer. And I was like, hey, Amori, um, that sounds interesting, right? They are going to look for a country opener. They're looking for a native language speaker. They're looking for somebody who's based in Paris. And I was raising my hand. And something like four weeks later, I started my job at USign. Okay. And you had a finance background, I guess. This also uh, helped a little bit, I guess, no? Yeah, I had a finance background. Indeed, as you were saying, I used to work for HSBC um, for five years. Exactly. I used to work in a sales and trading role. So it was also kind of a sales related role. That's mm. true. And uh, yeah, back in the days, I, I mean, I used to work there for five years. So it was a long time, but what I felt already was really the pressure from startups or scale-ups who were digitizing the whole fintech scene. And like when I joined, for example, HSBC, my department was something like um, 80 people. When I left HSBC, we were down to 50. Um, coincidentally, I just spoke to somebody who's still working there on the weekend and they're now 25. And that's kind of why I said, okay. Back then, I was always the youngest, like they would never have laid me off, right? Because I was not making enough money. Um, but but I felt I was riding a dead horse and I was feeling, okay, tech is really taking over. And that was for me kind of the, the, the spark that said, okay, I need to join the tech world. And of course, the first idea would, all, would have always been joining a fintech, right? But yeah, life never or seldomly plays out as planned. And in the end, I, I ended up in e-signature. Well, I mean, good for you. And our podcast also proves that fintech is really on the rise because we have already, you know, had the uh, session with uh, Konto, with uh, Torben Rabe that anyone can um, listen. And there are uh, two more coming up in season two. So um, stay tuned for that. Okay, thank you. Um, so always good to know how people meet and, uh, you know, how the teams get together. So at that time, so when you started, uh, when you started at USign, um, what was the context of the company? So what was like sizing? funding roadmap where was the company when uh, when you started mm -hmm. so in 2019 usen as i said earlier was a pure french play and um, we were something like 25 employees just frenchies and my um, uk lookalike and i basically right he was hired to launch the uk i was hired to launch germany more or less at the same time and the whole motivation behind that was actually in 2019 usign has raised for the first time an external financing with um, e-founders um, And before that, for six years, the companies had already existed as a bootstrap company, right? Originally, Usain is from Caen. So it's a uh, from the northern part of France, Normandy, um, for, the, for the connoisseurs. Voilà. And uh, yeah, and that was actually the financing was, of course, meant to drive international expansion because back then they were already big in France, but they had no presence in Europe at all. So it was really, they were saying, okay, let's um, associate with e-founders who have prior to USAIN brought different startups abroad, for example, Spendesk, and help USAIN also to do the same thing. Okay. And so, um, so it was um, a very thought-backed process, um, but would you say that it was more a strategic approach to um, international development? Was there also some opportunistic parts in, you know, choosing Germany and also the UK uh, for USAIN? It was strategic, I'd say, right? The, the whole thinking was really, okay, um, in the long run, we have no chance if we're just going to be on the French market. So it was really a strategic move to say, let's go abroad, right? Um, however, then, of course, the timing was pretty good because we launched or I joined in July 2019. Then we prepared to launch until the end of the year, more or less. But we fully launched, say, beginning of 2020. And as we all remember, right in March 2020, we had then the lockdown and people, of course, could not come to the office and they had to rely on electronic signature. And this was, of course, major tailwinds for our whole business. And in that regard, of course, the, the launch was also kind of opportunistic in a certain, in a certain, to a certain degree. And so once the decision was made, so let's launch uh, international operations, what uh, were the first steps? How did you do it? Dominic comes into the office, says, let's go to Germany. What do you do? Yeah, that's always the toughest, right? Um, yes. <laughs> so what did we do? Um, we had always 
the goal to expose the product as quickly as possible to the market and to really gather frontline feedback from potential customers. Um, so we didn't build anything based on hypothesis, right? We, we, we didn't um, change the product. Um, the only thing we did was really we translated a product because we said, hey, in order to really speak with German customers, we have to have a German product. So we translated the whole product and then did something that we called buying the learning curve. What do I mean by that? Um, we also didn't invest in writing SEO articles from the from the beginning, right? Because we were saying, okay, let's get in touch with leads. And we bought basically, or we bid it on the keywords that our competitors were bidding on in Google to really basically rank up there. People were booking uh, a meeting and then we got in touch with them and could really get frontline feedback. What did they think about our product? What did they think about our value proposition, right? And this was the whole starting point to everything that we said, okay, let's iterate from true customer feedback rather than building anything based on our internal thought process. Mm. So um, this is interesting um, because I wanted to ask you also if you did if you did any kind of market study because basically your market study came through the feedback that you had from your first clients but did you do any study beforehand before launching uh, the German market? Usain did right. Usain did it from a especially legal point of view, right? Because we're selling e-signature and although we're always talking about Europe and we have the common market and everything, right? The e-signature laws, they still differ a little bit. So that was kind of that was kind of needed too. Um, but despite having done that research, right? Um, we've, for example, totally underestimated the value of a product feature, which is, for example, the so-called qualified electronic signature, a product that is very high in demand in Germany. In France, nobody uses it or very there's a very poor usage to it, right? And so I really, although we haven't done it as thoroughly perhaps as we should have done, right? I would always advise for doing it. Um, and I'm often making the comparison here to another French uh, uh, very successful scale-up called Allen. Allen, what they're doing is actually they're selling health insurance. And I'm comparing to them because the health insurance market is very much like the e-signature market. Where you also, yeah, you can sell into whole Europe, but the systems that have just grown and evolved over years, they're so different, right? So what Allen was actually doing, they didn't hire a com country opener, Germany or UK, for example, but they hired an um, say, internationalization consultant, something like an internal consultant. And they were saying, okay, the only thing you do in the first place is you're going to look at what we have in France, look at all the potential different markets that are out there and make market studies, right? Which market do we have the best product market fit from the beginning? And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they launched in Belgium and Austria, where you would say, why Austria? Why Belgium? Well, because they really thoroughly did their homework. And I think you can go, you, you can internalize that whole work like Alan, for example, did. And there also exist some agencies, per, perhaps, I don't know, um, Wings or somebody like that who can help you with that. Someone like that. <laughs> Someone like that. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. We did this kind of work in, in the past and, and, and it's interesting what kind of markets come out uh, of your own, um, you know, your own impression, what you think the right market would be or what the what, what maybe people around you or maybe even investors tell you what the right markets are. And when you really do the market studies, you can see that something really different um, can come out of this. So this is this is interesting. So. Basically, uh, so you did the research that you needed to do from a legal point of view, of course, it's very important. And then you said you bought the learning curve. So uh, this makes me think about uh, who did all of this. So th like the team that you put in place from the first hand. So were you doing those first calls? Were you really um, also building up this learning curve inside uh, uh, USIGN? And uh, what was the team that you put in place from the very beginning? How many people, where, where have they been? What did you do? So in the beginning, it was really just me, basically with the help of, of course, our marketing team, with the help of uh, especially e-founders too, right, who had a vast experience in that field. Um, so we all built it from scratch. And I also think it's a, it's a very good learning if as a country manager who perhaps uh, later on evolves into a managing role really knows like selling that product on the ground because it's always 
yeah, we're selling a challenger product, right, into a new market. That's uh, that's tough. And uh, hearing those client objections can help you later on too. And from the very beginning, right, you were talking about team composition. Um, we followed the lean startup approach where we were actually saying, okay, um, let's try to grow as sustainable as possible. But that's also in the DNA of Fusion, right? I said earlier on the company was bootstrapped. So we always had kind of these metrics who are very common, like something like, Whenever you unlock 100K of annual recurring revenue, that basically gives you a second headcount, a third headcount, et cetera. And that was always kind of the approach we followed. So of course, I was doing everything from scratch at the beginning. And once I figured, hey, now we have unlocked a certain milestone. Now I can say this processes that I always follow, that I execute on a daily, I can really just make out of it a job description advertise that on the market, hire somebody for it. Well, then we filled the first positions. And of course, um, it was always like sales roles in the beginning, because in the beginning, you have to show traction, right? And traction in our business, at least, is driven by sales. So we were hiring business development representatives in the beginning. Okay, so you have been the first, uh, like, you know, the famous Swiss knife or mouton uh, cinq pattes, eierlegende wollmilchsau, you can call it as you like, but as the first person on the ground, you like just have to do it all, right? From, I guess, translation to talking to customers to setting up everything. So yeah. must have I mean, been one, really exciting in the beginning. Yeah, once you read also kind of a definition of an entrepreneur, right? You, you just yes. realize that you're an entrepreneur once you see the full to-do list and you realize even the task you dislike the most it's still on you to actually do it right and and that was of course yeah in the beginning it was like that you they were there was nobody to get to delegate it to no mm. and um did you set up any on-site team uh in germany and if yes when and how and was it easy <laughs> <laughs> um we did it or we've done it by now right um we should have done it earlier on um also we have to say that yeah, in the beginning, I was saying COVID, of course, was good for our business in general, but at the same time, it was very bad for hiring, right? Um, so during COVID, for example, we could have grown much, much quicker if we have had the staffing in place, but we hadn't. And back then, people were anxious, right? They didn't want to leave their jobs. They didn't want to relocate. Um, if you told them, hey, come to France, you can work for a startup that just launched a German market. Nobody was cry uh, Nobody was basically cheering and saying, yeah, just let me come. And, uh, and then, well, post-COVID, yeah, we realized that hiring in France is super tough, right? Because the people who speak German and who are willing to live in France, there are scars and the few who still exist. I mean, there's a huge talent hunt for them. And so after, yeah, something like one and a half years, two years, we decided we have to establish a local presence. So we opened up our Berlin offices. And since then, um, strangely enough, still, right? Um, I would say since then, we've hired 50% for Berlin, 50% for, for Paris, right? Um, so we, of course, if we found somebody who wanted to come to Paris or who, who was already living here, of course, we didn't say no. But of course, the more we grow and the more you grow, you have to hire locally on the ground. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that uh, a little bit later. Um, and how, from the very beginning, what kind of objectives did you set yourself for the German market? How did you define what you want to achieve first year, second year, third year, knowing that it was kind of turbulent times uh, because of COVID? But how did you how did you determine what would be a success? Um, yeah, I mean, sales is a very quantifiable business, right? And usually in sales, you get just revenue targets. They tell you, you have to bring in that revenue. And that's fair, right? For an organization that is that is grown um, for a, yeah, let's call it a startup within a startup, right? Revenue is always a lagging indicator because revenue is really the outcome of all the initiatives that you're doing, right? Of all the pipeline generation, of all the hiring that you're doing. In the beginning, we were yeah, too, too, perhaps too naive, you could say, and really say, okay, in France with that amount of headcount, we're doing X amount of um, revenue. So with Germany, with a Y amount of headcount, we're gonna do that. Well, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. This is why quickly on, we, we realized that especially the pipe generation piece is very important and, and, and especially, right, um, we haven't spoken yet, for example, about product um, adaption, right? 
because you're going to lose many deals in the beginning because you do not have the feature set that the market is looking for. But generating this pipe, quantifying this pipe, um, taking note, okay, what features we're missing with that feature, we would have won the deal. That is a very yeah, cumbersome homework, unfortunately, but you have to do it, especially since you're a small startup within a startup in order to, to really get product resources to build features for your market, right? You cannot just come and say, hey, I want this. No, you have to back it up with data. And that's something that, that, that we realized then, okay, we have to establish different metrics like pipe generation, like uh, the hiring success. Um, and revenue is, of course, the outcome of successful initiatives. Hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And we always also uh, recommend to to companies that we're talking to not only to look at revenue, but to have some other uh, can be quantitative, can be qualitative also, you know, knowledge about the market, number of partners that you have, uh, meetings that you have had, uh, for example, which also shows that you know the market that you're getting into the market and then, uh, you know, revenue will not, uh, let's say, um, you know, will come also not automatically, but normally if you do your work. Right. It, it's interesting yeah. what you say about the partners, right? Because in the end, what also helps you, but it's very hard to quantify is, of course, a brand. That's especially what's helping you in the local market, right? Of course, you, you come to the foreign market, you don't have that brand. And how do you build it, right? By for example, as you said, acquiring a partner's network because they have the credibility um, locally. And, and that's these are very um, yeah, important measures or steps that you have to take. Mm. So we're talking about revenue. So revenue mm -hmm. means sales. So sales means sales strategy. So what did you do when you started the German market? How did you, let's say, pull up your sales strategy for Germany? Um, did you adapt it very much from what was happening in France? Um, how did you go about finding the first customers for, for you, Sein? Yeah, yeah. So what we're selling is, of course, e-signature. And e-signature allows people to work remotely, right? And sign remotely, of course. And in the beginning... Also, because of few signs past, where we were coming really from small customers and upgrading or like growing with our customers or like uh, yeah, slowly um, attacking attacking larger uh, companies, we were selling very much through direct sales, but just really um, like video call direct sales, like doing demos online and um, doing everything online basically, and that has worked pretty well during COVID. I mean, there was also no choice. Everyone was doing it, right? So um, your sales process wasn't better or worse than, than anyone else. And this, like, say, online sales has helped us to, I don't know, get a um, yeah run rate of, say, something like 3K monthly recurring revenue that you generate every month, right? And then you say, okay, with these small customers, we have achieved this. But then you start to flatten out and you realize, okay, what brought us here does not allow us to double or triple anymore our sales, right? Because the customers we were targeting were pretty small. They do not bring a lot of revenue. And so you, you always have to think about sales efficiency too, right? And of course, the, the challenge then was really how to grow our basket value, how to attack larger customers, right? And we realized there, for example, that although we're still in an SMB sales, but say every ticket size that is something like 50K of an annual bill, right? Um, people, they have to get to know you. They really wanna build that trust with you and just selling online, right? perhaps not having the brand um, is not successful. And this is why lately over the last now one and a half years, we really started also doing much more client visits, right? Um, of course, right, we're in Paris, some of them are in Berlin, Germany, we have always this challenge about a very um, dispersed country, some customers Munich, others in Hamburg, and it re requires a bit of traveling, but still, investing one day of traveling to really see a customer and um, get to know to the decision maker and um, just shake the hand of the CEO because in our business we can still I mean companies of 250 people you can still have these meetings with the CEO right and um, it helps a lot to accelerate the growth because then of course if you unlock these higher ticket sizes right your sales productivity just increases by factor five 
six, seven. And that, that was really a, a, a challenge that we had to overcome, right? Because traditionally, perhaps we were then a bit lazy and said, hey, this has worked. Why should we change it? But then the context changes and you also have to adapt your sales process. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were, so you were talking from the, let's say, the smaller customers in the beginning and then the bigger ones. So what were the channels that you were using in the beginning? So to attract those first video calls and, you know, every, all the customers that you could sign online, basically. And then when you stepped up to the more SMB customers, did it change in terms of channels? So if I launch my business next week, what are the channels that I should use? Yeah, I mean that's. I think there's no secret sauce. Unfortunately, that's kind of the yeah the, the the challenge that we all have in startups, right? You of course you can have an hypothesis by speaking to your peer, but if that works for you, um, is not granted, right? So we tried. I mean, in four years we have tried a lot, right? <laughs> so yeah, we tried uh, perks, right? We tried through resellers, say those typical digitization consultants that you have in Germany, um, but especially the letter didn't have a lot of success right because in the end um, e-signature comes with uh, contracts contracts contain sensitive data it's a lot about trust too and even us as direct sales right the customers they they dig deep right when when we're selling and then perhaps even for smaller ticket sizes right they bring on um sea level they bring on it they bring on legal where you say hey we're mobilizing for this demo call here um for yeah minimum director level um, resources within the company for 45 minutes um um but it's it's an important piece for them right and even for us it's a challenge to convince them like then imagine how it is for a digitalization or, or digital consultant who is not working for you saying who should resell your product but has a catalog of other products um there too that that he or she needs to needs to needs to know by heart um so yeah that that did work for us the thing we stick by now still to that we still hang on to are really our software partners. What do I mean by that? Um, at the beginning, I made the example of signing a work contract, right? Um, you have so many HR softwares out there in Germany who basically do the talent acquisition piece or the payroll stuff, right? And at all stages, you're going to have signatures, your work contract, etc. And that's a channel that works pretty well for us, basically selling our product to these software partners and they're going to resell it then to the end customers. Okay, so integration partners, technical integration partners. Technical integrations, are... correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay, that's interesting. So you said, so you have to convince, of course, the customer and many different people inside of the customer mm -hmm. for your product. So did you have to adapt the product to the German market in any way from the product, the pricing, the way it's built? Um, yeah, um, we had to. Right. I mean, uh, I, I think I made the example before with that so-called qualified electronic signature. It's really a product that in Germany is, I would say, a must-have feature. Um, and although it's just, say, 5 to 10% of the documents who will really require that type of signature, a customer doesn't want to buy an e-signature solution for 90% of his document, but 10% he still has to handle on paper. That doesn't make sense, right? They really want a full service provider, which is understandable. And that was really something where we had to, yeah, uh, do a lot of um, evangelization internally, um, explaining to my product team why it's so important, convincing management here. And that basically comes back to what I said before, right? You, you just have to track all the demands that you receive for a certain feature in order to convince them right and and i think with a with a qs right we we collected customer feedback confirmed customer feedback hard quantifiable um north of easily a million euro revenue and that was the moment when they said okay perhaps worth um looking at it right and then it takes a little bit of time again until they build it but by now yeah it's it's a feature um that basically represents, I would say, 20, 25 to 30% of our revenue, right? So it, it's it's a success. And, and that's something that, of course, is a, yeah, very um, joyful or it, it fulfills you in hindsight if you say, okay, this is what we've built over the, over the past four years. 
Thank you. Um, going now to another topic, which is, of course, very important, marketing and communication in Europe. So um, what we always ask ourselves is how do you build a European brand, right? Or do you want to build a European brand? Then if you want to do that, how do you do that? So how did you at USIGN uh, build your marketing um, and communications operations for the German markets? Um, was it easy to transfer the brand from France to Germany? Um, what were a little bit the, the challenges and also the solutions that you found to you know, get into the heart of the German customer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, brand is very important. I think it's really, it's one of the big drivers that can help your product a lot, especially if you're working um, or if you're selling a product like ours that is, because the regulator just tells you this is how electronic signature has to look like, right? It doesn't give you a lot of freedom in terms of product differentiate, differentiate, differentiator, <laughs> product differentiator. Thank you. <laughs> and and that's of course something where we said, okay, um, we have to build, we have to build a brand, right? And uh, what helped us was kind of a logo hunt right where we said okay and um, you have to earn the trust and you have to acquire certain logos that people trust in, which was a big challenge for us because i said early on that actually our key target are small and medium-sized businesses and an smb has not the brand of an enterprise client right so we said okay we still have to juggle that balance and say okay let's go after the smbs but do logo hunt at the same time and I would really say it's worth it, right? Because I mean, we 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 won over, for example, Allianz, and that's something. Of course, we have them on our website, and so many customers or leads just come to us and say, "Okay, if Allianz works with you, this is something good, right?" Which is they don't dig deeper than just looking at the logo, and that's of course something where that that helped for us. And I would, yeah, basically give us an advice to to people who are building out a new market. Mm. And so you said earlier on that, you know, you have, um, of course, you're not alone in the market, uh, you're a market leader in France, and also aspiring market leader in Europe, let's say, but um, you have big brands um, competing against you, like uh, DocuSign and Adobe Sign, of course. So how do you, uh, which are American players, so how do you create your brand as a European company against those players? And how do you, how do you make people trust you? and not, you know, the big guys, I'd say. The trust, as I was saying, right, comes from really the logo and, and also going there, um, delivering a better service, right, showing your face, also proving that, hey, um, we have a German team on the ground, right, that is here to last. That's something that, that helped a lot. Also, Yusen was kind of fortunate because a question we always got asked is, how long do you even exist on the market? And we could say, 10 years, right? Because by now it's 10 years. We just celebrated our 10 year, year anniversary. I mean, that builds credibility and uh, still competing um, against the, these American players. We had one thing that really played in our favor. And that is that the typical German um, person, they do not buy from the first vendor. Right, they perhaps go there, um, inquire about features, inquire about prices, etc. But they will always compare prices. That's just the, the natural, yeah, uh, habitat of a German, right? So we we realized it early on, and what we did is we built out specialized um, SEO optimized pages that we called alternative to, so alternative to DocuSign, alternative to Adobe Sign, alternative to HelloSign, whatever, right? And and these pages actually helped us tremendously gain Google, um, climbing up the Google Google SEO ranking, right? And so, for example, of course, on these alternative two pages, for example, if I'm not mistaken, we're still number one SEO traffic, traffic even ahead of um, those typical software comparison sites. And it's usually their job, right, to, to compare. But if you if you type in German Google alternative to DocuSign, you should see USIGN still on top. And that's, of course, a big driver of traffic. Mm, of course. And then also, um, of course, you have to work on, you know, what makes you different, uh, because basically it's e-signature. So all of those tools allow to make uh, electronic signature. But what is the difference between you and the other? So what are the USPs? Um, how did you work on those USPs that really make them then, you yeah. know, go into your direction? Yeah, yeah. So 
of course, we started out saying, hey, with a European alternative to DocuSign, for example. And by stressing that European part, we were always playing kind of the GDPR card and say, hey, it's contracts, right? Sensitive data, you want to store them with a European player, etc. Um, by now, the Americans, they figured that out, right? And honestly, many of them have built a, a, a yeah, German cloud by now or even offer stuff like on-premise. Um, which is very, very German, right? And uh, so by now we go more down the angle of saying, okay, DocuSign and Adobe Sign, they're enterprise clients, right? They really um, have, I think DocuSign is 1 million clients or something like that, right? Whenever you go there, there's a typical German customer with a 200 FTEs, your number for them, right? They don't care. Your service perhaps is, or your customer success is probably based in, in Ireland or somewhere. However, if you come to USign, of course, right? We give you a full German support, pre-sales and after-sales. And this is something that is treasured by people, right? Because in the end, yeah, they buy the product, but also they buy kind of a yeah um, um, freedom or peace of mind that they say, okay, I don't have to worry about, right? Once I have a problem, I can call my person at customer success at USign and they will solve it for me. And that that's something that, that is still valued, um, which is, and of course it comes, is it so scalable? I don't know, but at least it helps us to grow uh, for the time being. Every time that... Basically, uh, one of the big USPs is knowing your customer, having good, reliable, long-term teams in Germany, even in France, but in Germany, I think it's really important that you have the people on the ground and that they see that there are German people working in a German office yep. with German names. Yep. I think this is something which comes back to the trust element, of course, is that uh, you know you, you you have someone that you can talk to and that you can really call and it's not like a 1-800 number and you never Correct. know if anyone will ever answer yep. you. Yep. So uh, we hear it again and again is that this is something that you should really not underinvest in. Right. Totally, I, I agree, mm. and it's it's on the customer side, but also on the hiring side that that helps yes. a lot. Really, being locally present with people um, is a true game changer. Mm. And so you always give me the best transition. So thank you for that, Dominic. Because when we talk about people, of course, we talk about. Um, what is always interesting when we talk about, let's say, French-German operations and French teams and German teams and how they work together, it's a challenge because, you know, you, you also learn how to work with remote teams. People are not in the same place. It's something that is mostly new uh, to companies. When they open the first country, then it's new that people are not all uh, in the same room. Um, and it's also the question of how do you manage the scaling process? So mm -hmm. how did you manage that? How do you manage that at USign? Um, how are the responsibilities shared between France and Germany? Who's taking the decisions? How independent is the German team yep. on the business? Um, how, how does it work? Yeah. Um, so what we have at USAN by now is a matrix structure, but where we clearly say, for example, function over territory, right? So from an organizational point of view, for example, I'm the sales leader for Germany, right? And reporting into the global sales leader. And my role, of course, as still country manager is to make sure that the information that follows or that 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 uh, concerns our market flows freely between all the different functions. So I have my weekly stand with marketing, with customer success, with demand generation, right, to really say, okay, this is what moves you right okay what kind of implication does that have on other teams and always be kind of that that spider in the web basically that just holds the people and all the interests together and it's it's sometimes it's hard right because it's very political too um but still i think it's uh it's a structure that we see elsewhere a lot too and probably the only one that makes sense but you have insights perhaps for more companies, so you can correct me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it depends. I mean, you see so many different uh, ways how it's done. So either there's the country manager um, way, let's say, um, that we see um, and that we see most uh, most often is that there is someone who is responsible for the market and who has ownership of mm. even the PL and those kind of things. Um, and then we see other, um, and I think, Going down sometime, this is something that you do need. What we can see also in the launching phase 
is that we do not have a country manager from the beginning, but that people try to implicate the, the whole team basically to launch the market and to get operations going mm. and then add, a, you know, let's say a high level country manager on top of that. But, you know, there's so many there different uh, approaches. And this is what we also talk about in the podcast, which is interesting to see the different approaches that you can have. And then the question is, are the people in Germany, in France, both, uh, you know, is the team distributed? So. Um, there, there's, but it's interesting to hear how you do it and the matrix structure I think is something that, that definitely makes sense mm -hmm. so how do you um, you know because uh, French and German are close you know we are neighbors but we are not the same and we do not work the same and I mean you and me we are kind of French German plants so we can do you know the <laughs> transfer cultural transfer but how do you maintain uh, this uh, cohesion between the German and the French teams how do you um, you know, define the culture? How do people get along? Is there anything that you do specifically to make teams work together smoothly? Yeah. Um, what, one thing we realize by now is that people are so happy to come to the office again, right? So, and that's also, you sign, as I said before, right? We have a culture that is uh, remote from within the product and our DNA, it was always kind of a remote-ish already with Caen and Paris, also two headquarters from the very beginning. But I think cohesion, right? And really team spirit comes back to having people mingle together, coming to the same office, etc. And of course, um, we have the big luck that uh, for our two offices, Paris and Berlin, we have two leaders, like in, I'm the one responsible for or in Paris. And then our VP sales, um, who lives in Berlin and is also German, is the leader of the of the Berlin office. And of course, in that function, right, we also have to make sure that the teams from Paris and from, from Berlin, they do interact. And for this, of course, we have the quarterly business reviews where the people, everyone's coming to, to Paris. Um, but... As I was saying before, like we now we do many more client visits, right? So you have naturally way more interaction because we're still dealing with a lot of tech customers too. And the tech customers, usually they're clustered in Berlin. So you just travel there, you go to the office, you see the colleagues, etc. And and that's very important because we, we, we experimented also a lot with a full remote, right? But we have to say, looking at the performance, right? The people who have been the most successful were the ones who had a clear base, either Paris or, or Berlin, or like we also have offices in Rome, for example. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of by now, we're really kind of, we're not saying, hey, you have to come five out of five to the office. That's of course not the case. We just have one rule. Um, uh, the rule is like Tuesdays is really full sales team in the office. There is no excuse. Okay, but so Tuesday is Tuesday is every, everyone's in the office, exactly. Okay. But you said that everyone is meeting once a quarter, is that yeah, right? Yeah, once a quarter, yeah. Okay, yeah. so everyone's yeah. coming together once a quarter. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's quite often from what I can see elsewhere. But uh, I think it's really important. I think elsewhere maybe people do not meet enough because I think this is really important um, and that people meet. So this is all uh, great. Thank you very much for all of uh, everything that you've shared. So now... Um, What's up now at USIGN for the next couple of months or years? So what's the situation now? Uh, what is coming up? Um, what, what, what does the future hold for you and uh, for USIGN? So what are the plans for the coming, coming period? Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully a bright future, right? Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, my whole career I worked in sales, right? And in sales, you learn one thing. You basically work one year. Um, you achieve your targets and then you come in um, on January 1st of the next year and the clock is basically at zero. That's always the case. And you get new goals that you have to have to go after. So um, the mission or the job is actually never finished, right? And that's also my intrinsic motivation, of course, where I say, yeah, once you reach certain milestones, you reach your first million in turnover, then you, you reach the four million, whatever, you always have to continue, right? And uh, yeah, I'm in the lucky position that I uh, still feel a lot of energy to pursue further goals, right, with USAN on the German market. And I said at the very beginning that um, in France, we're the market leader. In Germany, we're not yet the market leader, right? As long as we're not the market leader, well, the job isn't done. Mm. And the team size that you have today, um, how many people do you have today in the German team? 
Yeah, so we're 10 people on the German market, right? Um, it's purely marketing and sales, right? Where you say, and customer success. And when I say sales rise in our organization, customer success. So after sales is actually comprised in sales. And uh, yes, the sales team is still the biggest, right? Um, because it's we're in a market where we're still directly selling a lot to end customers. And that's the biggest team. Mm -hmm. And would you say that now after, uh, you know, all of those years that you've been here, um, are you happy with what you have achieved? Is it a success for you, you sign in Germany, as I said in the very beginning? Um, I think so, right? I'm still here after four years, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I hope that's an indicator that management is happy with the evolution so far. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, right, I consider it as a success. But of course, success is always relative, right? And uh, of course, there are certain elements that you can be proud of, right? Um, like, for example, having launched uh, the, that QES product that, for example, it's very um, uh, good timing that, you, that we're speaking about this because actually we're launching it for the first time in France this fall. So it's also a product that we've started, for example, in Germany, and now we're bringing it to France, kind of where you say, okay, um, usually it's always the other way around. It's probably the first feature that was developed for a foreign market and they're bringing, we're bringing to France. And these are, of course, um, yeah, successes or highlights that you're looking back and then you're proud of. And that's, that's either way. Uh, I mean, humans, right? Um, we always, throughout the year, think okay things are getting so slow and everything should be faster but once you really step back take that balcony moment and look back wh where have we been a year ago compared to now then you really see the progress and of course if i do this like with four day uh, with a four-year period right now um, I, i think there's still elements that that i can be proud of but as said we're not the market leader yet job is not done <laughs> yeah okay that's a big goal oh, that's a that big you... goal exactly yeah it is but you have to have big and bold goals right you have to be ambitious yes you have to be ambitious so um because you know we love french german um uh, relations as you know so we yes. have a couple of uh, you know quick fun questions that are not so professional but a little bit more personal maybe mm -hmm. so what is your favorite thing about working for a french company on the german market for the french company it's really the international mindset that we're having here in the office and of course this includes many frenchies many germans but also I, hr um, uh, is going to tell me now dom how can you not know but i would say roughly speaking we're having something like 30 different nationalities that you sign right and that that's of course a big gift where you say hey learning from these people talking to them over lunchtime always switching language the whole time is, is really a gift that, that, that helps you learn for life. That's a big gift. That's, that's mm. a big thing I treasure. And what, as a German uh, now living in France, what do you miss most about Germany and what do you appreciate most in France? Yeah, um, what I appreciate the most, okay. Um, what, I, what I miss about Germany is easier, right? Um, my girlfriend is working for L'Oreal. And I always ask the question, why do we have Rossmann DM, like these drugstores where you have everything and everything so cheap, like of these products, and it does not exist in, in, in France, right? And she cannot answer me. I don't know if anyone of your no audience one has knows the it. No. No, no one has an answer. Okay. I don't know why it still doesn't. <laughs> I think that Schlecker, sometime they came to France. I think there were a couple of Schlecker stores. If you already remember Schlecker, I think it doesn't yeah, exist do. anymore in Germany. Yeah, I do remember, Germany. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but I've never seen it in Paris. So. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Yeah, um, it's that, really that's a thing. That's a thing I, I mm -hmm. miss sometimes, right? Especially <laughs> I have two little kids at home, lots of diapers, right? Yeah, I thought it was for your beauty products, but no, it's no, for the kids. For yeah, it's always products. for the kids. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. And so, how about France? What do you what you appreciate most about France? Um, Paris. Paris is a beautiful city. Let's, I mean, Paris is a very beautiful city. Um, also the lifestyle, right? The, the typical, uh, um, yeah, Parisian lifestyle that you can have your apéro on a nice terrace, right? The, 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 what I, okay, I think I can break it down to the fact that Germans usually they live in big houses, and whenever they leave work, they go back home because they have big houses and they have gardens, whatever. In Paris, nobody has a big flat few people um nobody has a garden right so you're obliged to actually spend your life outdoors like in on terraces in 
coffee places, whatever. And that's something I, I really like, um, that, that social attitude of the French society, that they just mingle after work, whenever. It's uh, something that I, that I miss a lot in Germany. Mm, there's a lot of after work going on. In Paris, yes. Yeah, in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> there's always some kind of after work going on. Paris, yes. We need to organize the next after work anyway, we so we have to talk about this. Um, that's great. So if, if you would have to like sum it up um, in three words, like what you have experienced in the past, what would you have done differently now, looking back over the last, let's say, four years? Um, in three words, what what would you what would be the let's say the advice that you would have given yourself? Okay, the advice. The young Dominic. I, okay, the young Dominic. Okay, um, <laughs> I think I can even break it down or make it in two words: higher, sooner, perhaps faster, something like that. Especially during COVID, right? We could have grown so much faster if we have had the staffing in place back then, and perhaps it comes back really to opening up a German subsidiary early on, although it's a little bit of work, right? Paperwork, German bureaucracy, good luck. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, but it's worth it. Okay, that's great. Dominic, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for all of those insights about USAIN in Germany, what you did, what you achieved, how you build it up, everything, you know, how you put the hands in the in the machine, um, let's say, to, to build this up. Thank you very much for the insights. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of uh, help for people who want to do the same or try to do the same and are looking for some advice. So thank you I very hope much. So. I hope so. Yeah, I thanks, so Andrea, for, for having me. And uh, if people have questions, they can always reach out via LinkedIn. I think that's the easiest. And uh, yeah, happy to be part of the show. Thank you. Yes, thank you too. Je suis heureuse que tu aies écouté cet épisode jusqu'à la fin et j'espère que tu as appris quelque chose de nouveau pour ton projet en Allemagne. Si tu as des questions ou des commentaires, n'hésite pas à me contacter par email sur andrea.vogan.wings.co ou sur LinkedIn. N'hésite pas également à nous donner 5 étoiles sur Apple Podcast. Vielen Dank. Rendez-vous la prochaine fois pour un nouvel épisode de Good Germany Stories, le podcast de l'entreprise en expansion.